This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. In fact, I'm sitting here right now wearing a Mississippi Land Bank pullover. But that's not the only reason I really like Mississippi Land Bank. <laughs> Over the years, I've gotten to know their people. And if you have any kind of land need, Bulldogs, listen to this. I'm telling you, in North Mississippi, whether it's buying, selling, or just thinking about building that dream home, that's where you need to go start, is meet the people at your local Mississippi Land Bank branch office. And brought to you by Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point, where we are recording this podcast right now at this very moment. Brett's had cheesecake and coffee. Red velvet cheesecake to be exact. Well, and we're going to give all the details. Oh, goody. Jubilations Cheesecake here in West Point. Uh, you got to stop in, and that's where we're recording today. And we also want to thank the folks from Elkins Wholesale, elkinswholesale.com. For your business, if you have any kind of janitorial need, whether it's paper products, whether it's training of how to clean, right on down to laundry needs, Elkins Wholesale, when you think clean and efficient, think Elkins at elkinswholesale.com. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Out-recorded Omaha. Bulldog baseball team. And there's a ball in the air, deep in the outfield. Got a chance. Got a chance. Gone. Three-run homer. Back to me. Back to me. Back to me. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dogpile, where, look at that, State just scored another run on Auburn. How about that? Huh. I could have scored that game ended three days ago, but nope, just scored another one. It's now 21 to 15. I am Brett Hudson, joined by Matt Wyatt, and it's obviously a good time to, to be a Bulldog with the Mississippi State women heading off to Portland to play the Sweet 16, and in theory, the Elite Eight there as well on the way to what they hope is another run in the final four and it's obviously a great time to be a bulldog on the diamond where mississippi state is now 23 and 3 4 and 2 in league play you know and it's been so good brett that you have a lot of mississippi state fans who right now are just looking at this going please please don't let us play our best baseball now please let us play our best in <laughs> in may and in june you know but i just think it's um it's setting up to be a really, what could be mm-hmm. the potential to be a really, really special year. Well, I'm glad you, you said that because it, it reminds me of some of a point I wanted to make. I made it on your radio show last time I was on it, but I wanted to, to yeah. bring it up here and kind of dive into it a little more. All right. And you've got all those notes. Yes. I just want to say first that um, as excited as we are to be here and talk about baseball on Dogpile Podcast. I'm just as excited to tell you that Brett got red velvet cheesecake here at Jubilations sure in West did. Point. If you're listening, I was uh, on the coast working. Brett is always working in Starkville. He had pro day today for football. And as I left the coast this morning, I had to go through Loosedale, had a video project we're working on, starting it with Eubanks Produce in Loosedale. Mm-hmm. It's a really a beautiful place. And then I hit Highway 45, and it's like all we, all of us, when we come home from the beach back to North Mississippi, with yeah. the same drive, you know, yep. that eventually brings us up through Macon and Scuba and then Macon and then right here to West Point. So this is our meeting spot, our sponsor, Jubilation Cheesecake. So you got the red velvet cheesecake. 
give me a review, quick review. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. I noticed how quickly you finished it. Uh, yeah. Well, how could you not? The <laughs> textural differences from the red velvet cake at the bottom, nice and dense. You get the light, fluffy yeah. cheesecake on top of that. And the chocolate chips on the top. Come on now. <laughs> and the whipped cream is ridiculous. And so I have to read this tweet. All right. So you it. and I both tweeted a minute ago. Uh, because we have the, no shame. Yeah. Never have, never will. And we're tweeting pictures of what we had and the fact that we were doing a show prep. Well, <laughs> someone uh, tweeted it. Donnie tweeted at us. He is uh, D Hall and C D Hall N C Dog with a W. That's but that's him on Twitter. Donnie tweeted and said, "Brandon Walker does a shot of Jack on his podcast. It looks <laughs> like y'all made it a shot of insulin on yours." <laughs> Given enough time, yes. Enough time. And and for your coffee order, you got what? White chocolate mocha. It's my go-to. <laughs> White chocolate mocha. Criticize me if you will. Not, I don't care. I'm not criticizing at all. None whatsoever. I'm just, I didn't. I get I get that at coffee shops, and I have a Keurig at the house. So Attaboy. when I'm when I'm up at five thirty, which is yeah. normal for you because you're an insane person. <laughs> yeah. But when I'm up at five thirty in adverse circumstances, <laughs> um, doing something that I didn't have time to to do the previous day, I'll I'll fire up the Keurig for some some regular coffee. When I'm at a shop, I figure I can order go. something that I can't do at the house. <laughs> Attaboy. So That's I, I had uh, just strawberry cheesecake. And uh, I had plain, you know, just house coffee. And it comes from, all the coffee comes from High Point Roasters in New Albany. Dan Skinner, who's a good bulldog there as well. And uh, so here we are. If you hear the uh, freezer buzzing in the background, <laughs> it's uh, right here when you walk in here at West Point. It's right on Highway 45. So if you're ever headed to the game, the new dude, you know, can swing through here or you head it down, pop in. You can eat lunch. They make sandwiches, soups, everything from scratch here. Uh, but obviously all the sweets and desserts and cheesecake and all that kind of stuff. And coffee. They have a full coffee shop. As you heard, um, you can get, you know, any number of, you know, whatever. And all the coffee does come from High Point. Yeah. And they have the freezer. So the, the last thing before we get back into baseball is uh, you can come in here. And a lot of times if you had like a cooler and you got a, another hour or two to go, so a lot of times they'll have dry ice that they can pack it for you yeah. to keep it frozen for you to get home. So, Like for a certain podcast host that drives to Tupelo after, <laughs> after these particular recordings. Or back to Starkville. You might have need ice. I mean, it's only 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's only, only 15 on to 30, depending. But, yeah. And if you guys really want to make Brett happy, his favorite kind of cheesecake is Oreo. I am an Oreo guy. He let yeah. that slip on a I recent did. podcast. Uh, it, maybe it wasn't slipping. Maybe it was intentional. It was an intentional maybe, slip. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm trying to, <laughs> to inspire some Is that an oxymoron? Uh, intentional slip? <laughs> it actually it is. That's true. It is. An okay. intentional slip to kind of poke and, someone's and, kindness. Maybe. <laughs> right. You never know. All right. And on Twitter, real quick, just housekeeping here. Um, Carl said, I think you owe me at least three red velvet somethings, Brett. That was from Carl Smith Jr. on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Carl. I don't need to know all the details. What a jokester, Carl. <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to this, Carl, you get out of my mentions immediately. <laughs> uh, LP Chow Dog said, expect a top 10 podcast with that amount of show prep. Well, you obviously get a top 10 podcast every week. Right. On Dogpile. That, that goes without saying. It goes without saying. Award winning. 
Not yet, but we'll be soon. <laughs> eventually. Eventually, and yes. Dan Skinner himself, Dan the Coffee Man from High Point Roasters, tweeted and said, Wow, y'all are in for a treat. Tell George to stay caffeinated. And he signed it, Dan the Coffee Man. That's his deal. He'll, he, he tells everybody to stay caffeinated, my friend. So, <laughs> thanks, Dan. We got it. And, uh, yeah. And, Jimmy, we got your tweet as well. That's All funny. Right. All right, so let's do baseball. Okay, so quickly, since we last podcasted, they lost to Auburn 5-6, to six, then won the series by winning 15-2 to two and 20-15, to 15, then beat Mississippi Valley State on Tuesday 18-5. to five. Yes, that is three straight games with double-digit points. Uh, before we pod – double points. Basketball on my brain. <laughs> runs. Double-digit runs. Double-digit runs. Uh, and in between this one and the next episode, they will have a three-game series with LSU Thursday, Friday, Saturday, although weather is on the fork is on the forecast for Saturday, so keep an eye out on that. And then a Wednesday midweek game against ULM. All of that will transpire in between episodes of Dogpile. Okay, to get back to the point I made on your radio show that mm. I wanted to dive into a little more here, it was – it was inspired by what was said after that 6-5 to five loss to Auburn on Friday. And to kind of refresh people's minds, Auburn started Tanner Burns in that game, who came into that yeah. with a 0.5 VRA, a 0.6 whip, number two in the SEC in strikeouts, only behind Ethan Small, a name State fans should know pretty well. And they hung four runs on him in the first inning. They, they beat up who was arguably the best starting pitcher in the SEC at that point in time, and they mm. still lost that game 6-5. to five. It would be very easy after that game to say, uh, we put up a good effort, we did some good things, but, but we lost by one run. That's baseball. Live with it. Come, right. back, come back the next day and, and try, to, try, to, try to see if the luck is on your side. That was very much not the narrative out of the clubhouse after that game. They were, to, to use the word Jordan Westberg used, they were pissed. Yeah. They were furious that they let that game go with two spots in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings with little production after that, fifth, that one run in the fifth inning. They were pissed yeah. that they lost that game. And I thought that was telling of this team's attitude because there, there are two different ways you can approach a team that is this good you can say, we're this good, things are going to happen for us because we are this good mm -hmm. and this is a large sample size sport and these things tend to even out over enough time. Maybe yeah. you have enough time, maybe you don't. Or you can look at it and say, we are this good, we cannot let anything derail this. Yeah. We can't let anything get in the way of us being this good and as good as we could possibly be. And I, I think... They won't say it. I don't think they'll say it, although Elijah McNamee kind of said it from the locker room in Omaha last year. They know they're good enough to win the national title. They know that about themselves, yeah. and they're, they're, they're hunting it. They're not, they're not trying to do their thing and see if it comes to them at the end. They are full-out hunting that national title, and I think it showed with how the bats showed up in that Saturday-Sunday game of that, of that Auburn series. And I just thought that mentality – was was interesting because you always get that yeah. out of out of a baseball team. They kind of recognize that their sport is weird and unforgiving and yeah. bad things happen, but this team doesn't seem to take that into account. They just they know they're good and they refuse to let anything get in the way of them being as good as they think they can be. Well, and you know that mentality is really it's as important as anything else. It's it's like, you know, you could take a very talented team 
But if they don't have that kind of mentality, it's probably not going to work ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got two or three ingredients that are all a must. You know, pitching, hitting, the talent, speed on the base path, all the experience, all those kinds of things. But the mentality is a huge part of it. I do feel like that mentality it emanates, I think, from Jake Mangum. And a lot Very of times, I'll tell you, Brett, there are a lot of times where, as a former college athlete, I've used the term loosely with me, but what I'm saying is having experience, sometimes I tend to, I don't lend as much, you know, put as much weight on the thing of, okay, there's this one central leader on a team and everything they do is because of him. You know, I, I agree. I think that is a common misconception. It is. And it is a misconception because there are a lot of leaders on a team that, and you know, you can be a great leader, but if, you don't have a bunch of great followers, then so what? You know, I mean, so it takes all this different stuff. Having said all that, there's something about Mangum and his approach. It, it is a – he is a – he's the fire starter, okay, for the team. He just is. And you can tell they all look to him. They all kind of depend on his energy. They depend on him to get rallies started. So I do think a lot of that mentality comes from him. Um, And all great teams have that. We'll be right back with the podcast after this message from Mississippi Land Bank. We do more than make a living off the land in North Mississippi. We live for the land, too. We live for an early morning duck hunt, time spent in a deer stand, a day of fishing, and the outdoor life. For more than 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has been a great hunting partner for recreational land lovers by helping to finance the land they set their sights on. We know what a hunter loves and the lay of the land in North Mississippi, and that's where I stand. All great teams have super depth on their pitching staff. State has super depth, and I am not discouraged by what you've seen the last two weeks in the midweek. I'm really not. And the re- here's the reason I say that. Now, it may sound crazy, but the reason I'm not discouraged is, frankly, now is, this isn't the time of year where you need those guys to be at their best. They're angels singing in my head right now. This is the best take. <laughs> yeah. The best take. I could rant on this. Yeah. Go ahead, please. All right, so what I'm saying is, I'm glad to hear you say that because the first time you rolled your eyes, I thought, is he going the other way? No, but seriously. I'm rolling my eyes at fans. Fans. And my mentions freaking out. And I'll I'll get to all that in a minute. Go ahead, please. So whether it's, you know, Keegan James on a Sunday and those starts and, you know, all the guys out of the pen, Sarantola, Plumlee in the midweek, this is not the time of year that they need to get it. Just get it all worked out by the end of April. Okay. You got over a month for that to happen. And to me, like, again, you can watch Sarantola pitch. It's not even about talent. You know, you can watch Plumlee pitch. It's not even about movement on the ball. It's just strictly about confidence mm-hmm. and, and co- the, the, the comfort level they need to go out there and hit the strike zone. And he will. Um, <clears throat> I'm drawing a blank on who this kid was, but this was on the 2016 team. I'm pretty sure this was that Dakota Hudson team. Um, and he's the guy who – the big pitcher who went to the SEC tournament and just lit up Alabama 
really came on at the end of the year, the big right-hander, got himself drafted into the Tigers organization. That was the year before I got here. Okay, so it was I the year am, before you got I here. Am of, I am of no use. Almost everybody listening to our is podcast right now is screaming at I it. I could probably find it. So this was the 2016 SEC tournament? Yes. I'll, I'll find it while you finish okay. making your point. But um, you're going to find the name. <clears throat> big, tall right-hander. Uh, I think it's Zach Houston. I think the name is Zach Houston. It's Look the Alabama game, the SEC tournament? Yeah. Okay. Um, and And – Really, the entire SEC tournament and a good portion of the postseason, this big guy with his hard fastball became a different type pitcher. Side note, that's a coffee grinder going right here in Jubilation. Zach Houston, you're right. Zach Houston. He, he all of a sudden became this different pitcher than he was confidence-wise or anything else any time earlier in the year. And I'd love to, at some point, talk to John Cohen about it because he would know this intimately. But, man – he went in all of a sudden, went into that SEC tournament, and his outings on the mound, he was untouchable. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that that and, and an outing or so in the, post, in the postseason got him drafted as highly as it did. And he's been pretty good in the minor leagues. But he's an example. To me, again, he was not your Friday, Saturday, not even really one of your weekend guys who at the right time of the year – and it gets you through a regional. Next thing you know, you're hosting a Super because he turned it on and had these really important outings – and that's what you, you, I swear, if you're going to go hit three batters, no disrespect, go get it out of the way against Mississippi Valley State, mm-hmm. right? Because come the SEC tournament, Sarantola, you're no longer going to be a freshman. You're all of a sudden going to understand what a good team you have at the plate around you. You're not going to have to go nibble in the first inning. Go throw strikes. See if they can hit 94. Yeah. You know? I and doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> and, and so my take is – they're super deep on a pitching staff. And any little blemish that you see, even on the Sundays, it's just a team that with their lineup, they're going to figure out ways to win. And you don't have to pitch your best right now. I just need you to keep working on it. Don't lose your confidence. And just pitch your best in, at the end of April and in May and in June, and we'll be fine. The, the timing aspect of all of it is, is very important. And it's, it's important to have that context in this. But also – the recent performance isn't as bad as people seem to think it is. Nah, right. Now, yeah. the, the Eric Sarantola thing, look, the last two starts, Little Rock and Mississippi Valley State, okay. I'm not going to make excuses for them. Yeah, bad. Totally. The two starts before that against Jackson State and Arkansas Pine Bluff, three innings each, three hits allowed combined over those two and covered those six combined innings in 70 pitches. I mean, yeah, that's just, it's just control. Six strikeouts combined. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's not my, my main problem with what is surrounding Eric Sarantola after these past two starts is it's not that he's been bad all year long and he still just gets thrown out there on midweek games to get shelled by a coaching staff that doesn't know any better. That's not the case. He clearly has stuff to get yeah. you three innings in a midweek game. He's just not doing it right now to, to borrow the line from earlier. That's yeah. baseball. These things happen. I'm willing to bet you Scott Foxhall, the man who saved Jared Lebel, right, given yeah. what, what he's done this year, the transition he's made from last year to this year, I have enough faith in, uh, in Scott Foxhall to figure out whatever Eric Sarantola is doing right now and get him back to that guy that can give you three strong shutdown innings to start a midweek game, and that's incredibly valuable. The other aspect of this is uh, Keegan James, who, yes, you need more than five innings from your Sunday starter most of the time, although 
the recent bullpen usage suggests. You don't, but that's yeah. a different subject for a different day. But he's also been the been the subject of bad luck to a certain extent. I mean, yes, his his three innings against Auburn, eight hits allowed, four earned, four earned runs allowed, not great. But also, you got to remember he got a big bases loaded strikeout to end the first. Yeah. That's a big moment that he survived in and. I mean, I'm not in the business of calling people out, but there was one ball down the third baseline that I thought Justin Foscue probably should have made the play on that, that he didn't. It was ruled a base hit fairly. He gloved I, it but didn't handle it. Well, no, I, I think I think the ball was closer to him than he thought it was going oh. to be off the bat. So it, he, did, he didn't make the dive for it gotcha. that I thought he, he could have. And then there was that bad luck ball over Gunnar Halter's head at oh, second yeah. base yeah. later in that inning. I mean yeah. – how many times has that happened to a pitcher in a season? Right. I mean, that can't happen to a pitcher more than five or six times in a season. Yeah. And it just so happens to come against him when he's slumping against a really good lineup in, in a pretty crucial start in a, yeah. in a rubber match. So while, while people are, are jumping off the wagon on Eric Sarantola and Keegan James, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. I think there are different aspects to both of their recent doubtings that suggest that, that I guess could be easily corrected. Is, is what I'm getting at, but also the, the timing aspect of it all is is pretty important. As, as great as it is to be dominant here on March 27th, as great as it is to be 23-3, and three, state fans and really college baseball fans in general, we don't remember teams that are dominant in March. Yep. We remember teams that are dominant in June. That's right. That's exactly that's right. That's what this well, is all about. Man. That's why you remember last year's team. Oh, yeah. You know? was that, mean, that team was getting dominated in yeah. March. They were not dominant. In March. I mean, in last year, and maybe it's an extreme example because I don't know that I've ever seen a team go from so bad to so good. Everything about last year is an extreme example. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Everything about that Given season. everything that went on. But, um, but you know, again, uh, the, the, here's a great thing, too, is, you know, you set yourself up for that postseason to have it at home uh, in a big atmosphere. And I do think that you have seen some weekend stuff where in front of these big crowds in that ballpark, the other guys haven't handled it that well. I think you I saw a, a situation too with, with Maine and I know you're much more talented, but they're not a, as bad a team as their record might indicate. But I also think you saw it with Auburn a couple of times, a couple of pitchers for Auburn went to the mound and the atmosphere kind of got to them a little bit. Um, and so just, so we obviously know the importance of, of what they're doing now, winning these SEC series, and it all has plays into the kind of the future of your program. But that's it. Get in that postseason, especially if it's at home, and play your best baseball then. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's really going to be the most important. Yeah. And, and we need to remember that this the weekend bullpen we see is going to get bolstered come that time. Yeah. Because come – Come SEC tournament and regional and super regional and, and all that, Peyton Plumley's not going to be pitching in the midweek because there ain't going to be a midweek. That dude's going to be giving you multiple innings on the weekend. You can right. say the same for Eric Sarantola. He's going to be a guy that can give you an inning in a weekend in the what state fans hope is the Starkville Regional yeah. in 2019. And, and I've just seen it so many times, Brett. Somebody, whether it's Keegan James or Sarantola – it could be, or Peyton Plumley, probably more likely Plumley because of his age. I've just seen it year after year. Somebody who is not that great yeah. in that either, you know, Sunday or midweek stuff this time of year, 
at the end of the year, one of those guys is going to emerge and be pitching really well at the mm-hmm. end of the year. I've seen it too many times. And so more so than who's going to man that third and fourth spot for me is like, I'm going, can Ethan Small and JT Ginn be that good every single time out? You know, with and, and it looks like they can be. It's you know, it's incredible. They, it's incredible. It really I put is. them in the in the full count this week just because I was looking over the the team numbers. That's what often the full count comes from, just me staring at team numbers long enough until something <laughs> uh, sticks out to me. And those two covering twenty five and a third innings with a three point two ERA. All of them, each of their SEC starts has gone at least six innings, uh, and neither of them have done it in 100 pitches or more. Yeah. They've all been efficient enough to keep that pitch count under 135 to 7 strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah. I mean, that is, it, it, it's almost unsustainable. But then I look at the hitting parts of the stats and I realize Jake Mangum is hitting 407. Yeah. And I think that's unsustainable too, but it's clearly not. Yeah. So why right, wouldn't right. this be sustainable? Why wouldn't it be? Hey, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's it, something I meant to tell you earlier. But yesterday in Biloxi, you know, I was down there for a Farm Bureau event. Jeffrey Ray, who's the current hits leader at Mississippi State. I he talked is to the, him last summer, yeah. He's the uh, Farm Bureau manager of Pontotoc County. How about that? So he was down there. So yesterday I recorded an interview with him in his hotel room <laughs> for the radio show. I played it on today's radio show. But it's a real, it's a great interview of him talking about his career, what watching Jake Mangum track him down, and then he talked about JT Ginn. And I really feel like I probably ought to take that interview and put it here on this podcast so that people can hear it. Maybe just post it tonight as a special episode where they can hear the Jeffrey Ray interview. Yeah. Uh, but it was really insightful. And you know what was cool about it? So they're out, he's done. He's in the working world. His roommate at this Farm Bureau event was Andy Rice, another former player at Mississippi mm-hmm. State. And I walked into their room, and theirs was on their their window or their room was on like the twenty third floor facing north. And when you open their windows, there's MGM Baseball Park like <laughs> right out their window. Right, that's these two baseball guys sitting right across from a baseball field, and we're doing an interview about baseball. So it was pretty cool. That's cool. So I think I'll post that for folks here. Yeah, hear it. Yeah, I, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. So shall we? Shall we wrap up our session of agreeing on the pitching staff by saying it's deep and these things will <laughs> eventually work themselves out in a SEC sample size larger than six games? Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that fair? Yes. And, and this is a good weekend to do it because LSU is having a lot of trouble hitting the baseball right, right now. We'll, we'll get to that momentarily. But before we do that, I, I want to have a, just a quick moment to appreciate Elijah McNamee All right. because I don't think we're doing that. Okay. Enough, and, and it's understandable with Westberg and Foscue mashing and Mangum climbing up the record book, but is it possible that Elijah McNamee has quietly reached base in 21 straight games? Wow, Did you man. know that he's on a reached base streak of 21? You know, I was aware of he had the 12-game hit streak yes. before, the, I guess it was the Samford game where they walked him three times. And he and got so, hit by a pitch once. And he didn't game. get a hit in the game. Yeah, because he but, was too busy taking free backs. Yeah, and and so I knew that, but I didn't know about the on-base deal. 21 straight games. Uh, he's only been hitless in four of those games through the 21. You mentioned the the 12-game hit streak that, that started this. He's slugging 556 which would have led last year's team by like 50 points. Oh, wow. But he just so happens to be doing this on a team where Foscue is slugging over 600 and Westburg is basically slugging 650. So I just, I just find it 
interesting that Elijah McNamee has been awesome yeah. all year long, but he's somehow doing it quietly, quietly. because yeah. Jake Mangum is going to be the <laughs> SEC leader in career hits in a few weeks, and he's going to be the Mississippi State leader in career hits a couple weeks before that. And Westberg and Fosk, you are just doing preposterous things with exit velocity. I might as well set uh, notifications for, for Hale State BB exit velo tweets. I, I love them so much. But McNamee has reached base in 21 straight games, and nobody knows that. He's, he's been so under the radar, and, well, and it's I'm a big part of the lineup. He's a huge part of it. Well, and, you know, he's sitting there in that, what, that three-hole, four-hole? Four-hole. Four-hole. And – and so he's like automatic protection for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's on base he's every protection game. protection for Foscue. For Foscue and, and Skelton. And for Skelton, who is slugging 595. Well, and we wonder, okay, everybody's – let's just go here, you know, this transitive property thing. Everybody's going, man, where did this Dustin Skelton come from? You know, Ooh. holy cow. You know, he's slugging 500-plus. He's got the home runs. He's going multiple hits in all these games. Well, every time he's coming to the plate, at least once a game, every he's coming up there and McNamee's on base. Foscue's <laughs> on base. All right, so what are they not wanting to do? They're not wanting to walk him. Yep. What else are they not wanting to do? They're, these right-handers to Skelton, who's two spots behind McNamee, who's always on base, they don't want to bury that breaking ball and it bounce past the catcher because I got news for you, the last couple of years – a buried breaking ball was an automatic swing and miss with Dustin Skelton. Yes. In, in his younger years. Yes. But they're going up there, and they don't want to do that with McNamee at second and Foscue at first when uh-huh. we move them up. Okay? And so Skelton, even two spots behind McNamee, one spot behind Foscue, he's getting a lot of strikes over the plate to hit, going up there with confidence, hunting it, because he knows they don't want to walk him because there's guys on base. So there's this whole transitive thing. What about, you know, Westberg in a two-hole and there's Tanner Allen in the three-hole? You know, Allen right now has cooled off. You know, average has sagged for him. Only Tanner Allen could cool off to 264, Yeah, 260-something. Well, but again, it ain't like he's swinging and missing. Yes. it's a He's hitting the ball. He's had in the Auburn series. He had a bunch of balls. He hit at people. Every now and then he's doing the rowdy thing. He just misses it and pops it up to the center fielder, you know, something like that. But he's still getting strikes to hit. And there's another reason why you don't worry about Tanner Allen. One, because he's Tanner Allen. Two, because he's got Fosk- he's got McNamee and Foscu behind him. He's going to get a ton of strikes. Yep. And and he'll have a big hit at some point this weekend. So Westberg himself has mentioned having that protection of Tanner Allen behind him. Yeah. And McNamee behind him. Yeah. So it's, it's constant protection. I think another aspect of that protection is this lineup is so quick. Because Rowdy is working his way up that lineup, and yeah. eventually he's going to be in that five. Actually, he was in the six hole against Valley, I believe. So he's already up in that situation. He's got seven stolen bases this year. Jake Mangum's got 15. Westberg has four. McNamee has four. And, and those are all guys where they aren't speed demons. They aren't going to be in the 70s on the 2080 scouts, yeah. scout scale in terms of base stealing, but every base is important for them. We, we've already seen Jordan Westberg win a game by scoring from first. Right. That already happened this year. Shouts to Tanner Allen. And every base with Elijah McNamee is important because he's not the speed demon, but he's not slow either. So every single one of those bases matters to the point where yes, you, you would like, you can't, you can't avoid 
these guys because right. they're guys on base. You got to pitch to them, but you're also scared to death to throw them change ups or breaking stuff because if you if you, as you mentioned, if you leave one a little low, yeah. they might go steal a base for you, yeah. and all of a sudden Westberg is from first to second with one out. And then you've got to deal with Tanner Allen, Elijah McNamee, and Foskey yeah. behind them where any hit scores a run. Westberg scores on everything. Everything. From second base. And you got dudes, take those three, Foskey, McNamee, and uh, Skelton. They're hitting 349, 356, and 338 yeah. behind them. That's, that is terrifying. It's ridiculous is what it is. And, yeah, Westberg, people still don't quite grasp what a great athlete he is. The you hamstring know, injury last year totally ruined that. We it, would have known that by now. If I think you're that. right. I think you're right. And and that's why he really came on at the end of the year. He was getting farther and farther from the injury. You know, coming into this year, Chris Lamonis would say this phrase. Uh, Jordan Westberg has a chance to be – to play shortstop at the pro level for a long time. He'd I agree completely. That. And you'd go, all right, hold on, let me, you know, <laughs> hold on, let me rewind, let me soak that in. Now, did he just really say, because you're going, all right, first of all, he's 6'3", 200 plus. And you know what kind of athletes we see at the pro level who play shortstop for a long time, the kind of athletes we see at that position. And you're going, really? And then he would look at you square in the eye and go, he's a way above average athlete. Okay, and now you're seeing it. You know, now you see him scoring from first and, and – they can't make it close sometimes, you know, against Southern Miss. So it's um, – I hope people really do appreciate what a great athlete he is. And somebody who runs that fast, you just hope he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. You know, because um, – and, and here's the other thing, too. So 23-3, and three, again, I know it's early. But to just kind of, you know, um, put it in perspective, like how does that happen? So State is the number one hitting team in the SEC right now. So they lead the SEC, batting 327. Now, they're not number one in terms of team pitching ERA, but they are number one in strikeouts. It's 306 strikeouts. That's Ethan Small and JT Ginn written all over it. And simultaneously, they are number one in the SEC in fewest walks by pitching staff. What? They have issued 69 bases on balls this year. Go ahead and say it. Nice. Wow. <laughs> And so they lead the SEC in fewest walks as a staff, and they lead the SEC in most strikeouts as a pitching staff. Wow. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Yeah. That is so, a team strikeout-to-walk ratio of 306 to 69. Right. The only, other team in the, the only other team in the SEC with over 300 strikeouts to this point is Texas A&M. They have two fewer at 304. But they've played one more game than State has. Oh, well. And they have ten more walks than State has at this point as staff in, in one more game. That is 4.4 strikeouts to every walk. To every walk. And here's the thing. You, well, here's what you and I know. All the walks are coming from Sunday through Thursday. Yes. Right? The walks are not happening on Friday and Saturday. Ethan Small has eight walks in 36 innings. JT Ginn has – Four walks in 38 and a third. It's just, He's a freshman. Yeah, it's a, He's a freshman. It's unreal. You should have heard Jeffrey Ray talking about Ginn. I can't wait to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, he said he was just saying that, you know, he and some of his former teammates, they watch him and they're like, we, we, it's unbelievable that what he's doing by basically throwing two pitches. 
Okay, and not ramping up the fastball. No, but, taking something off. But that two seam is a work of art. Oh, yeah, it moves all over. Oh, control. It dances. And then mixes in a breaking ball. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's really That's amazing. unbelievable. He said that, and I'm giving away some of it, but he talked about how, you know, the thought process is that a lot of the great pitchers, they have two, but they have a third or a fourth pitch also. You mean D- Dakota Hudson. Yep. So that third and fourth time through the lineup, that sixth inning, what pitch are you going to now? Because I've seen your fastball, you know, I've seen your breaking ball, and if you throw it, I'm going to hit it. So now what are you going to go to? He said he's not going through that. He's going six innings, you know. And of course, they, you saw him hit him late at Florida, mm-hmm. throwing two pitches. But for the most part, he's getting you 90 pitches, six innings, throwing two pitches, and they can't hit it. Well, I think what's interesting about him is he doesn't do it often to the point that it, you can't really consider it a third pitch, but he can throw a straight fastball. Like he has that ability. Yeah. So every now and then you see hard out of the hand and you yeah. think, okay, here comes a two-seam, and it never breaks. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a right-handed hitter waiting on that two-seam to break in and it just never does yeah. and it just sits there, it, sits there. it, it, runs can, back it, in on it you. can freeze you sometimes. Now, he doesn't do it often enough to, to warrant it being considered a, a third pitch, but he can do it. And, mm-hmm. and when he does it, I, I think there's an interesting chess match there about when he does it and how he does it. Uh, so LSU coming in. Yes. I just got to make a quick comparison for you since we just did it. So State's pitching staff is number one in the SEC, fewest walks, 69 base on balls through 26 games. LSU who's coming in. Last in the SEC, as a staff, has issued 114 walks in one fewer game. All right. They've struck out 222. So, not double, but working on double. Yep. Okay, not quite, but they are working on double the number of walks this year issued by their pitching staff as what State has. Fewer strikeouts, played one fewer game. Confusing thing is Vanderbilt has also issued 114 walks. So LSU and Vandy are tied for the most walks as a pitching staff at this point uh, in the SEC. It's weird. It is weird, isn't it? And, and you know what's especially problematic for LSU in this particular series is they don't seem to be able to hit. I know. All that well. They just got shut out. They're, by... they're, yes, that, that midweek loss to McNeese State. They're ninth in the SEC in batting average and in slugging. They're 12th in on-base percentage. On the pitching side, they're 11th in ERA, next to last in strikeouts. You mentioned tied for last in walks allowed. But they're 4-2 and two in the SEC. Yeah. And, and I, I just looked at all these numbers, and I was just baffled by this. And, yeah, they come into this on a three-game losing streak. But Mississippi State has been dominant, and they've earned that same 4-2 and two record. And I, I kind of looked at, at it up and down, and I wonder if they have enough bullpen pieces to patch together a game with four guys throwing an inning each because, frankly, they just haven't done that with any success. The bullpen got hit up twice when they got swept by Texas. But looking at their SEC wins, their first win against Kentucky, Devin Fontenot went five innings of scoreless two-hit ball out of the bullpen. Another win against Kentucky. They swept that series, by the way. Trent Ventmeyer got a four-inning save. How how often do you hear about that? Right. A four-inning save. And then the one win they got against Georgia – was thanks to an eight-inning shutout start from Zach Hess. Okay. So it's it's at least possible that LSU can't survive a four-inning start 
from a starter. Thus, objective for num number one for State, I think, should be to chase those starters yeah. however possible. Because unless you get something Herculean like Devin Fontenot and Trent Ventmeyer gave him in the uh, Kentucky series, I don't know that LSU has the bullpen to, to come out of this series yeah. well. I really don't. Right. And, you know, like you look at Friday night, Hess, who will throw for um, – for LSU, a lot of people think he's a reliever, having you know having to be a Friday night role. <laughs> huh? yeah, figure that out five years down the Ooh. road whether he's a reliever or not. But the thing is, he's got really good stuff and good velocity. Good, you know, he's intense. What you want from a Friday night? He versus Ethan Small. It could be great. I mean, it could be awesome. Um, but one thing I think that I watch for. It's be tomorrow night, actually Thursday. I said True. Friday, but so they're gonna play tomorrow night. Is you know, State has gone out on Friday nights and has not taken the approach at the plate in the early innings that they want to get the pitch count up. You know what I'm saying? Well, you Jake Mangum hasn't doesn't know what pitch count is. He has God never has. God love him for it. Love but him to Westberg, death. But I mean, Westberg will go out there in the first inning and first pitch swing, boom. If it's a strike, I'm going after it. There's so much confidence in the lineup. It's like, who cares if we get your pitch count up? They're Jay Gotro hitters. That's what they are. That's what they are. They're Jay Gotro hitters. They they find a fastball they like. They swing. They don't care yeah. if it's oo. What well, do you think? They're you know, there's always been this thought that the Thursday, Friday, Saturday it gives you television for Thursday, but the Thursday night game kills some of your crowd. But this being LSU and good weather, I, I don't, don't think it's possible to kill an LSU Mississippi State crowd. I don't crowd. think it is either. I, I don't think, think it's Thursday possible. night is going to be big. I agree. I agree completely. I mean, I yeah, mean, the, the Jackson crowd might not be able to to drive up and drive back down to get back yeah. to work, but last I checked, the Starkville population is higher than fifteen thousand, <laughs> and that's more or less what Duty Noble Field yeah. holds. So I, I think that there will be a lively crowd. In, yeah. in town for that, I, I that Thursday so. night LSU game, especially since when has day of week ever mattered to LSU fans oh, yeah, for football coming. or baseball? Oh, when, has, when has day of week <laughs> ever mattered? Yeah, they definitely – they'll be there. Ethan Small, a 1.7 uh, this year. In six starts, he's 2-0. and You know, early on he didn't get – he got some no decisions, didn't get run support in a few yeah. early games. But 36 innings pitched this year. 58 strikeouts and eight walks. JT Ginn, 6-0 with a 2.58, 49 strikeouts and only four walks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just opponents are batting 154 against Ethan, and they're batting 183 against uh, Ginn. That's ridiculous. They're holding folks under the Mendoza line. Yeah. That's incredible. That's just and, incredible. And then there's your boy, Lee Belt. My boy, Lee Belt, for real. <laughs> that, that's my boy. He knows it. That's my boy. 11 appearances, 16 and a third, um, 14 strikeouts, only two walks, and opponents batting 200 against him. Yeah. And I kind of I, I dove into the exact role that he seems to have carved out in, in this bullpen in the full count piece that went up on the site Monday. So go to mattwhitemedia.com, find the Hudson Report blog. Uh, dove into that in the in the full count um, piece. So we've we've hit pitching staff. Where our our takes on the pitching staff are 
are well established. We think everything's going to be fine. It's and be fine. If, if, if two weeks from now we're wrong, then we'll address it. We're not sure. above that. But, I, I but think we're not everything, wrong. You I, should know that. Never, we're not. never, never have been, never will be. Don't, don't even dare try to search my tweets. Don't you <laughs> dare. Don't you dare do it. Uh, we've, we've established LSU. We've established Jordan Westberg, Elijah McNamee. The last thing I really wanted to touch on, and I mentioned this in full count too, but I wanted to touch on it for, for that reason and because I noticed he seems to be pretty popular in the fan base right now because I tweeted about him from football practice, and that kind of gives away oh, who yeah. I'm talking about here. I tweeted about him from football practice, and that was definitely the most popular tweet of the day. Brad Cumbest. He's wildly popular right now because he just raked in that Sunday win over Auburn, then goes straight to the football practice field like some sort of mutant human that is capable of doing both at a level this high. But uh, also in that full count post I mentioned, he kind of provides an interesting layer to the DH role with Josh Hatcher hitting well as a lefty in the DH role and Brad Cumbus hitting well as a righty in the DH role. Uh, now, the pro- you can't just automatically platoon the two because you do have Marshall Gilbert and you do have Hayden Jones and even Landon Jordan as a good pinch hit candidate. He's hitting really well in pinch hit opportunities, by the way. It's kind of it's weird that he has that. But there are so many more options for State at DH than just pr- platoon Hatcher as the lefty and Cumbus as the righty. Yeah. But he adds another option. I just wanted to pick your brain on, on what Brad Cumbus did uh, in the Sunday game against Auburn, and then what he's done for for the season as a whole, because he's been a an impressive character so he, far. He really has. Um, so two things on him and what he did against Auburn. So he's a freshman starting as a DH in the second SEC weekend. Okay, now he's not in the field, but you're starting on an SEC baseball team that went to Omaha last year that is loaded the second SEC weekend of the season. I don't care what your role is, you're a true freshman, you can play if they've got you in there. Yeah. Okay. The other thing is you hear behind the scenes, there's a lot of chatter. I heard one guy who knows baseball and talks to people say, if Brad Cumbus were draft eligible this year in baseball, you know, this year coming out of this freshman year, if he were draft eligible, he'd be a top 15 round baseball draft pick this year. I've heard people say that. Yeah, All right. You can understand that with the body type and the potential. Yeah, the potential. And has shown it. Okay. And so he gives you this right-handed bat that you can go. If they're throwing lefties, Auburn had all lefties, then we're going to start him in a DH role, give him some righty on lefty at bats. Made sense. But then to go out there and hit the ball with two strikes, you know, to battle. I know one of those at bats on Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was down 0-2 chokes up, fouls one off, eventually gets a base hit out of it. Just, you know, he's having these, like, he had three veteran-looking at-bats, very confidently putting the bat on the ball in different situations throughout the count. Never looked shaky, never looked lost or overwhelmed, anything big and can run. The other thing is I've just really been impressed with the way Lamonis and the staff uh, handle the lineup and different guys in different roles. So we're talking about Cumbus, so look at the DH role. Look at what they've done throughout the year. Um, you know, Youngstown State, Jackson State, Pine Bluff, Maine, all those. And they went out to Frisco. What do they do? I mean, you had all kinds of combinations, but 
You've had Landon Jordan starting at DH. You've had Hayden Jones starting at DH. You've had Marshall Gilbert starting at DH. Then it gravitated to Hatcher. He had a great week hitting the ball before the SEC season started. And Hatcher gets to start at DH first time all year long against Florida and tore the ball up. It's almost like Lamonis knew he's going to tear the ball up. It's time to put him in there. We start him. Like, no hesitation to tweak that DH spot when you need it. And then, um, you know, and since then, the way they've managed the substitutions, who to put where. This, again, is a big series, okay, a swing game, a rubber match. And for the first time, we're going to roll Compass out there and start him. These, this coaching staff is not rigid and rigidly locked into something for fear of screwing it up. Yep. This coaching staff is willing to do whatever to go win and beat anybody, and I love it. Look what they've done with Rowdy. Yep. Not hitting and having bad luck, they moved him on down. down. Now, it's, now what do they do? He's gone, you know, multiple hits and back-to-back games, and right on back up, and they're like, well, Rowdy's being Rowdy. So they are really – I am really impressed with the way Lamonis is like he's one step ahead, and it's working. Uh, it's a great point, and I can, I can bolster it with, with some stats. Uh, at DH, four guys have more than ten at-bats at DH this year, and Brad Cumbus just misses that threshold with eight. I'm guessing he's going to get yeah. above that in, at some point in the uh, – I could not believe I'm seeing him, though, in that football uniform. After watching him hit the ball against I Auburn. I know, I know. That picture was was wild. And at pinch hitter, uh, Marshall Gilbert has 10 pinch hit at-bats. Landon Jordan has nine. Yeah. Uh, six from Brad Cumbest, four from Hayden Jones, and four from Luke Hancock. So they're they're rotating guys in at DH. And if something is going off or they just find a matchup that they like, yeah. pitcher on hitter, they'll throw a pinch hitter in there. They don't they don't care. It's It's a – it's a good observation, and there's there's proof in the pudding. Yeah, I agree. It's just really good so far, and and you know now they are entering that realm of they got to watch out for rat poison. Got to look out for rat poison. I, I think they're immune to it though. They seem to be with that with that mindset that we talked about at off the top with yep. being pissed losing to Auburn six to five on a Friday night. And, I think they're immune to and it. And here's what else we know. Here's the other thing we know. This is different from the last few years. Oh, unquestionably. The last few years, you're getting ready to play LSU. State's pretty good. We know it. They're putting this together. They're piecing things together on the pitching staff. And State was in a position. You go play LSU, and on Friday night, uh, you knew it was either going to be a battle or they were going to whip your butt. There yep. was no – the, this is a an LSU series where LSU, everybody in a purple and gold uniform knows this. If they hit Hess in the first inning, it could be all downhill. Ooh. The way this, you know what I'm saying. So you have a dynamic where the tables have turned a little bit this year. It's LSU and their fans that are hitting the road to go play this series and going, man, Ooh. we really need Hess to be good in that first inning because if he's not, Uh-oh. if they hit him early. This thing will be downhill quick, and it's a. That's why I say it's just a little bit different than it's been in recent years. Yeah, it's a completely different dynamic. And by the way, on the rat poison thing, I've been trying to kill Jake Mangum with rat poison for years, and it uh, it just ain't working. You know, <laughs> he's he's the kind of guy that 
deserves his fair share of of the quote unquote rat poison. I've been trying to kill him with it for years, and it's it's unsuccessful. So he's he's clearly immune, and and he's also clearly a pretty pretty significant presence in the in the clubhouse. So yeah. if he's if he's immune to the rat poison, I imagine everyone else is to to a certain extent, sure. and yeah. it, it should make this team sustainable for for the long run. And as a as a statistically driven kind of guy there's a part of me that hopes it is because i keep finding just ridiculous nuggets in this in this team stats hey, how about page those once splits a week? i tweeted last week for mangum prior to the auburn thing i was shook his, his average 800 with a dude on third yeah and what? i should have i should have said that it was you know 833 with a guy on third base and less than two outs ridiculous so there was one little tag there i didn't get but still but still preposterous yeah That's okay. We're good. Thank you. So, um, as we wrap up, we're 51 minutes in, by the way, Brett. <laughs> Longest dog we've, pile we've, of the uh, year. We've got a lot to say, yeah. apparently. So, as we get ready to wrap up, as you can hear, we're at Jubilations uh, Cheesecake in West Point, And uh, they have coffee, and also we had cheesecake earlier. And um, George Purnell here at Jubilations, and Luann, George and Luann, they came up. We were talking earlier. George took his grandsons uh, the first time for any of them. Yeah, this is George a cool story. Or his grandsons to go to the new dude. They went to Friday, Saturday versus Auburn. He could not stop talking about what the park was like, the experience. He's just blown away. And how about this? One of his grandsons caught and got a foul ball in the first inning, and another and the other grandson got one in the ninth inning. <laughs> So at the beginning of the game and the end of the game, and they both went with him and they both uh, got a foul ball. And he said that they live in Tennessee and they went back home and now they are chomping at the bit to come back and go to another game. <laughs> I believe it. Because the experience is just so good at the ballpark. Yeah. Honestly, that's kind of what my wife said when I brought her out there for some midweek game. I think it was the Grambling game, but went out there and I've got some buddies out in the lounges. So I kind of took the wife out there and did the thing. And she's kind of like, yeah, I should come to baseball games yeah. more often. This is this is a good time. I'm yeah, like, yeah, you can you can have a good time out here. It's yep. uh, really it's can. winning over everybody. Also, I think I think he mentioned that Elijah had a had a hand in those in those oh, foul yeah. balls. Like he he might have tossed one over the edge oh, okay. and, so he tossed and hit one somebody. So so shouts shouts to well, Elijah. That's even better. Good people. Yeah. It's even better when the player throws it to you. Even right? better. Yeah. Shouts shouts to Elijah. Good people. And uh, shouts to Brett Hudson. Shouts to the Red Velvet Cheesecake, which got the Brett Hudson. So good. Uh, two thumbs up. Absolutely. And I had the Strawberry Cheesecake. Y'all stop in on your way to the game. I want to thank Mississippi Land Bank, the absolute best, the foremost, and the authorities uh, in the land business in North Mississippi. So, you know, certainly farmland, and they know farming is big business, but also recreational property. You know, that fits me. I'm not a farmer, but I'm a guy who I dream and am trying my best to work towards being able to get that piece of property, put in a small little cabin, secluded, next to a little pond or a body of water, and that'll be the retirement. That's where the, when I die someday, they're going to have to come out there and retrieve my body. That's where it will be. That's my dream. <laughs> and so, you know, if I want that, I'm going to Mississippi Land Bank because they already know. All I have to do is, you know, go there to Matthew Kimbrough at Tupelo and say, Matthew, 
this is what I'm looking for. Can you find it for me? He was like, yeah, yeah, let's go right around. I'll show you, you know? So <laughs> Mississippi Land Bank, appreciate y'all supporting the podcast. And also Elkins Wholesale. When you think clean, think Elkins, elkinswholesale.com. Brett, boy. Appreciate it. We're six minutes away from our hour for our first hour-long podcast, so we'll cut it off, give ourselves something to shoot for down the road. Right. I, I anticipate positive feedback from this. <laughs> I expect nothing less right. from the Mississippi State baseball fan base than to applaud a longer-than-usual <laughs> podcast on their baseball team. All right. So thanks for listening. Also going to get the Jeffrey Ray interview posted for you where you can listen yes. to that, and we'll see you next time. See you.